We have six talks from Mother's Day to Father's Day, and we're going to begin on a message for moms or women in general, and then I'm going to end on a message for men and fathers in particular. In between, we're going to talk about singleness, we're going to talk about marriage, we're going to talk about family finances, and that leaves one Sunday that I'm really not sure what to talk on as it relates to the family. So if you have any, any thoughts or suggestions of things you'd like to hear talked about as it relates to the family, feel free to, uh, to share with me some things you'd like us to talk about as it relates to the family. Like I said, we have one, one message that's not uh, spoken for already. Now, when it, uh, when it comes to messages directed at women and mothers, on Mother's Day in particular, we usually follow one of two streams. One of them is that we'll devote the message to honoring moms and thanking them for, for all they do. And really, we should honor our mothers. God calls us to honor our mothers. In fact, the Bible makes uh, honoring mom and dad one of the Ten Commandments. That was so important to God. And in fact, God actually includes kind of of a, uh, you know, a principle that goes along with that, that if you honor your parents, there's longevity that goes along with that. But as a pastor over these last uh, 35 years or so, you know, I've learned that not every mother is worth honoring. Now, there's been some horrific moms out there, moms who didn't love their children, moms who uh, deeply and emotionally scarred their children. And let's face it, we all come from broken families. You might step back and say, whoa, whoa, not me. I didn't have a broken family. Yeah, we all have broken families because we're all broken people. Sin has scarred all of us, so no family comes through that unscathed. But there are some families where mom has really been broken and has really damaged uh, and deeply injured her children. I, I know of one family where the mother took a broomstick to her children after she broke the umbrella on them. I know of another family where a mother would just leave her children to walk around and sleep in their waist, in in their cribs. Now, my goal is not to shock you or to repulse you. It's simply to say that not every mother has been a good good mother. And And I say that, I want to tell you why I'm saying that. I'm saying that because Mother's Day, I've discovered, is very difficult for some people because of what I'm saying to you. Because, you know, most of us had really great moms. Our mom, mom was the best. If I were to ask you, mom was the best. But, you know, it's not always been true for everyone. And so some people come to today with, you know, a great deal of conflict about this day. You know, honoring their moms and, and yet the situation that they experience with uh, their very broken, their very broken mom. And, and listen, and that's, not to, that's, not to, that's not to cast stones at any broken mom, right? Because all of us are broken, We're just broken at different levels, I think. Now, the second kind of Mother's Day message uh, usually focuses on the role and responsibility of mothers, and and that's somewhat what I want to do this morning, although I'm going to generalize this. In fact, the text isn't going to be directed specifically at mothers, but at women in general. Uh, but So this is going to be a, a, a message, a talk to hopefully encourage and challenge you women with the responsibilities of, of womanhood and the responsibility uh, of moms. And so, sisters, this is going to be how can I be more like the Lord Jesus. Now, now one of the things I want to say at the onset, and y'all follow me, okay, listen to what I'm saying, listen to my heart. Very few moms ever feel like they did a good job. Very few moms ever feel like they did a good job. In fact, I was, you know, in, in my search for videos to show you this, mor- this morning to encourage you or to just, you know, I don't know, to just kind of honor moms. I, I found one where a church basically brought all these moms in and, and had them sit down in front of the camera and talk about their motherhood. And every one of them, to a fault, said, you know, I've been a lousy mom. I really failed here. I really failed there. And they would talk about their areas of weakness, etc. Only to find out that when they brought the kids in, 
the kids didn't ever talk about any of those broken areas. What do, you, what do you want to tell us about your mom? And every kid would talk about how wonderful their mother was. And these are little kids. They're not, they're not, they're not older kids that are feeling like, hey, I've got to do something for mom. These are kids that are just speaking from their heart. And so, I, you know, I've discovered that very few moms ever feel like they do a, a great job. And so my goal this morning is not to discourage you women. It's not to add, it's not to, add to your already heavy load. I don't want to do that. In fact, if you've been a mom and you didn't do very well at it, and you send the past, and you know, let me just say something. You cannot change the past. You can't change the past. Now, you think I'm stating the obvious, but, but we all live there wanting to change the past. And I want to tell you this morning, you cannot change the past, sisters or brothers, okay? The past is done. It's behind us, okay? The only thing that I can do, I can't go back, is I can learn from my past to affect my future, all right? Now, all of us can learn from our past to make the future different. But again, I, I, I want to say this over and over and over again. I do not want to add to your guilt this morning. I do not want to add to any kind of sense of failure. Oh, Jimmy's going to give me more stuff that I didn't do or etc. That's not my goal. My goal is simply this morning to challenge you to press on. Can't change the past. Hey, but what is it that God desires of me as a woman? What does God desire of me in my role as a mother and even as a wife? We're going to talk about some of that. But, but maybe this is a general talk to women. And, and so I want to talk about how can I change the future? How can I affect the future? Now, again, some of you women are saying, wait a minute, my kids are all grown. I can't do anything about the future. You know, yes, you can. Yes, you can. You may not be able to do much with your own children, but we don't call you the grandmother for nothing, right? You are the grandmother because you, you have some child that you mothered, and then you possibly are going to have grand... In fact, if they call you grand and not just mother, chances are you have grandchildren as well. And so you can... Listen, I want to say you can still affect your adult children. You should never, you should never absolutely give up, although you need to recognize your role changes, your role is not the same when your children are grown as it was when they were little, okay? It's different, but you can still affect the lives of your, of your grown children's mom, but you can also you can impact the lives of your, uh, of your grandchildren. But, but, but that's really not my point. My point from the text this morning is that you grandmothers, you older mothers, you, you actually have the opportunity to impact the future by impacting young women coming behind you. In fact, that's what God's going to call you older women to. And you, you, you put the label, I'm not going to label any of you, okay? So you put the label on yourself, whether you're in the old category or the young category. But actually, I, actually, I think if you are ahead of any other woman, you are the old woman in, uh, in that situation. And you can impact these younger women and younger mothers that are coming behind you. So our text this morning is Titus chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some free Bibles on the back table. Please feel free, if you don't have one, to get up and go get one so that you can follow along. If that's too uncomfortable for you, pick one up when you leave. We want you to have it. It's free on the back table back there. And then you can bring it with you next time you come. But our text this morning is Titus chapter 2. And we're going to look at three verses. And I'm going to actually rip them out of their, their greater context. Know that in this, in this section of Tim, uh, Titus, Paul has actually got instructions for all kinds of people. But in light of Mother's Day and the fact that I wanted to devote this message to my sisters, I, 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 we're just going to look at the parts that deal with the ladies. Okay, Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 reads like this. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior. Not malicious gossips, 
nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Now, at first I'd called this a tangential note, that I was going to chase this, this older woman thing at the beginning, but it's really not tangential. It really is paramount to the text. But notice that, first of all, the Apostle Paul begins to direct something to older women. And there's three, there's three challenges or three charges for you older women. Here they are. The first one is this. You are to have a certain conduct. You are to have a certain conduct. If you look at the text, it says you are to be, you tell me, what is the word? Reverent, right? You are to be reverent. And, uh, and so that word reverent there means pertaining to God or what is holy. Your life, your behavior, your conduct should reflect holiness. It should reflect, and holiness is where we really don't, can't really grab hold of, so let me change it. Your, your, your life should reflect, it should look like you follow God. It should look like God. You, you should be like the Lord Jesus. You should be like God. Now, Micah shared something, a thought with me this week from last week's message that, that's relevant here, and I want to share it with you. You know how the Bible talks about putting off and putting on kind of two things? We put off certain things. We put on certain things. Micah sh- shared with me, he said, you know, when I think of a moral man, I think about what he's put off. That he's not an adulterer, that he's not a liar, that he's, that, uh, he's not greedy. It's the things that he's put off in his life. But when I think of godliness, I'm thinking of what he's put on. Did I get it right? Uh, when, I, when I think of godliness, I think of what he's put on, that he has the fruit of the Spirit, that, that he's, he's different than the world, and that he has a character that reflects being like God. Now, I really like that. I think it goes along with the put off and the put on kind of ideas. But here's the thing I want you to see. When it talks about reverent here or godly, depending on which translation you might have, that reverent idea has not so much the putting off the immoral, but it has to do with putting on. It has to do with putting on the godly character that the Lord wants you to have. And of course, you know, I could chase and try to define that for us, but I'm not. I think most of us know what godliness looks like. It looks like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. It looks like those sort of things. As We're going to come back to that. But it just looks like, it looks like love. It looks like graciousness and goodness. Now, so ladies, you should have a certain, you should have a, a certain conduct, but you should also have a certain control. In the text, it says, watch your tongues, okay? But also watch your addictive challenges. And, uh, and I guess this would speak maybe to a lady's conduct, maybe to the things that were to put off, right? To the things that, the, the immoral things that we should not do. Now, now, I'm not sure why God singles out women with the gossip. I really am not, because I've discovered that we men gossip just as much as you women, all right, got an amen over here. Can I have one over here, right? So, you know, we all, we get it, man. We get it that we, we, we can gossip just as much as, as you women, okay? But, but this text is directed towards you ladies, and it says, don't be a gossip. You know, to Ann and I watch a lot of Andy Griffith, and to quote Barney Fife, nip it in the bud, ladies. And he always says this, pick a lock, pick a lock. I have no idea what that means, but it means shut up and don't talk, right? And so Barney, Barney would say of malicious gossip, you know, pick a lock, you know, don't, don't be involved in gossip. Now notice this, that, that Paul is saying, don't be involved in malicious gossip. Don't be involved in malicious gossip. Now what's the difference between gossip and malicious gossip? Malicious gossip, malicious gossip is when you are gossiping for the purpose of hurting people. 
I mean, you're not just gossiping because you're sinning. You're gossiping because you've got an intention to sin, not just with gossip, but you've got an intention to hurt people with it. And, and Paul singles out malicious gossip, but I would say to you don't gossip at all. Now, now notice the second thing in this control, this certain control that you older women are to have, is you are to control your addictions. And one of the one that he specifically mentions here is not being addicted to, uh, to wine. And, and I think, I, I'm sure in, that Paul would include all addictions in this, okay? You should not be addicted to Facebook. You, you should not be addicted to uh, TV. You should not be addicted to, I don't know, whatever you might be addicted to. We shouldn't have addictions in our life. We should fight against addictions because the Bible calls us to do everything in moderation. You know, not, not, not controlled by it. In fact, we're not to be controlled by anything. We're to be controlled by, by who are we being controlled by? By the Holy Spirit, that's right. Not by any addiction, okay? Uh, but in this particular case, notice that he singles out alcohol or he singles out wine. And, uh, and I would say probably because that was, that was probably one of the greater addictions in that day would have been the use of alcohol and the use of wine. And so I want to say to you women, but I also, and again, this is a message primarily to women, but there's so many ramifications in what I'm going to be saying to men. And it's this, guard yourself against alcohol. Alcohol is not a sin. You know, there was a day when we in the church used to just condemn alcohol and call it, call it a sin. It, it's really not a sin. Drinking alcohol is not a sin. But you need to understand that it carries inherent risk. And it carries risk of addiction. And, and probably all of you that consume alcohol, uh, you would probably say, I'm not one who's going to be addicted. You would say that, and, and maybe you're not, and hopefully you won't be, but you know, it just, it grabs so many people and destroys so many lives. I don't know if you're familiar with Elizabeth Vargas on, on ABC News, but Anne read her biography, and I, I mean, I've seen her, her interviews, but Elizabeth, you know, she had, the, she had the main seat on ABC for just a little, little while as a news anchor, but anyway, she, she had such a fear of being on TV that she used wine to, to, to calm her down, and when she got home, and just one cup turned into more and more and more until, until Elizabeth became an alcoholic. And lost her family, lost her children, lost her marriage because of it. And, 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 you know, she talks about just how addictive that can be. You know, uh, we, we see in our, in our day, especially millennials, listen to me. It's almost like we've embraced, you know, that there's no, there's no inherent dangers in alcohol. And there are. And, and, and God is warning you, older women specifically, he says, do not be addicted do not be addicted to much wine. Be careful with those addictions. Now, so the, the first one is the conduct, and, and then there is a control. And then there's a certain calling that he gives you older ladies. And he says, teach what is good. You older ladies, you're to be teachers. That's what you're to do, moms. Uh, the reason why I say to you that your influence is never over once your children are out of your home is because you are always called to be a teacher. You're called to teach your own children maybe specifically, but, but here it's greater than that. Your impact should be on teaching women everywhere. Notice that. That's who are you to teach? According to the text, you're to teach the younger women that are coming behind you. Your influence need not diminish. Your influence can actually grow exponentially as you've raised your children and you begin to sow, if you would, your knowledge, your, the, your experiences into lives of these younger women coming behind you. You know, your, your influence can actually grow exponentially. But then notice that Paul tells these women what they're to teach, all right? There's a list given there, and uh, there's a list of what these older women are to teach 
uh, these younger women in being faithful daughters of the Lord. Now, what I'm going to do for the remainder of these next few minutes is there's seven areas mentioned there, and we're going to touch on each one of the seven. And these are the things that older women, you're to teach younger women. But here's what I want to do. I, I, want us to, I want us to kind of rip that out of that context and say, ladies, I want to say to you ladies, you moms in particular, these are the things that God desires of you. And again, let me reiterate this. I know I've said it a bunch of times, but I'm really feeling the pressure of this. I don't want you to leave here feeling like, oh man, I got more burden on my back of things I've got to do. That's not what I want to do. The past is in the past. We can't change that. What we can do is say, okay, God, here's some things. Begin to pray about these seven things. Begin to say, God, how can I grow in these seven areas? All right, so real quickly, let me give you the seven areas that, that ladies, God says, teach the younger women these things so they will be these things, so you'll be these things. The first one is this, ladies, be a lover of your husband. Verse three, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands. Older women, you're to teach young women how to love husbands. That implies this. We are hard to love. And indeed we are. I, I get it. We are selfish. We are, uh, we are selfish. We are hard to love. And uh, one of the interesting things that I found in this text that I was, I, I was totally blown away with is the word for love there is not agape. The word for love there is phileo. And if, you, if, you've, if you've been in church for a long time, you'll know that the Greeks had different words for love. And, and, and so they were a much more exacting language than us. We love our hot dogs and we love our wives. Same word, right? There ought to be a different word for loving your hot dog and loving your wife or loving your husband, all right? But there's not. But there was in this language different words for love. Phileo had to do with friendship love. Friendship love. So here is what Paul is literally telling the older women. Teach the younger women how to be friends with their husbands. Now, most likely, they're in a culture where most, marriage, where most marriages are arranged, you know, we, we, we don't know nothing of that anymore. All our marriages are based on romance, and, you know, very few marriages are ever arranged. I find you, you find me, we get married out of this kind of romantic love. And again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just simply saying that, boy, you know, it was so different back then. And so what Paul is saying to these older ladies is teach, teach these young wives to be friends with their, with their husbands. And, and this is obviously, hopefully, a skill you older women have learned through trial and error over the years of being friends with your husband. That's the idea. And, uh, and again, let me say this. So, <laughs> ladies, I promise you, on Father's Day, it's going to be directed at the men, okay? So please don't sit there and say, Jimmy is being so unbalanced, and, and it really should, they should be doing this. Yes, you're exactly right, but this is for you, okay? Now, in his book, How to Approve Fair Your Marriage, Willard Hardley says this, the man's greatest, his second greatest need, and again, this, this, is, this is psychology, this isn't necessarily biblical, but, but I think there's truth into what Mr. Hardley has, has, has acknowledged or identified, is that, that, a, that a man's second greatest need is, is for his wife to be his friend. And not just any kind of friend, but a friend who likes to do stuff with him. A friend who likes to get involved in the activities that he likes to get involved in. Now, I can remember when Ann and I were dating, she loved the ocean. But after we got married, she didn't love it anymore. Or not so much at first. Now she doesn't love it anymore. But she's been trying in the last year to get in the water with me again, right? So she's been, she's been trying. But, you know, she loved the ocean before we got married. And then she liked the beach and the sand. But not. don't look at me that way. You know it's true. <laughs> 
a good friend of mine, his wife, his fiance, girlfriend loved volleyball until the day they said, I do. And then she said, I never want to see another volleyball in my life, right? And so, listen, that is what we do in dating. That's why dating for an extended period of time is helpful because we can only put up a front for so long, right? And uh, so, but we pretend to like what the other person person wants. Now, ladies, I am not suggesting suggesting that you do something that makes you miserable for the rest of your life. I'm not suggesting that you that you do something that scares you for the rest of your life. Although that couple is on a motorcycle, aren't they? Yeah, that's on purpose. <laughs> Sorry, that's between me and Ann. That's between me and Ann. But listen, listen. I am suggesting this. I am suggesting husbands and wives that you find ladies, find something your husband loves to do. And, and, then do it, and then do it with them. Even if you don't love it, do it for the sake of loving your husband as a friend. Remember, remember that for us men, that's a, that's a really high, high on the list of things that we long for in our marriage. And uh, you know what? And I, and I'm, I'm going to give kudos to Lynette over here because I've seen her out in the hunt stand with her husband. I'm not sure. Maybe it's inherently she just loves that. But I always got the feeling it was because of wanting, wanting to love Tim. So, uh, so yeah, so ladies, that's what, you, that's what you need to do. Why is loving your husband, how's that going to make you a better mom? Okay, let me just talk about mom. Why is that going to make you a better mom? Here, because one of the best things you can ever do for your children is love their dad. I'm going to say the same thing on Father's Day, just in reverse, but I'm going to say it for you this morning. One of the best things you can do for your children is to love their dad. Number two, moms, be a lover of your children. Again, the word here, it shocked me. The word is not agape. The word is phileo. And, and so God is not, you know, not that he wouldn't want you ladies to sacrificially lay down your lives for your kids. I think he would. But here he's basically saying, moms, don't just love your kids sacrificially like your kids is what he is saying. And I know because uh, Anna raised six of them that sometimes they are not very likable, you know, and uh, they're not very likable. You butt heads with them. They show you no respect. They, they don't do what you think they ought to do. And then when they do something, you know better, it just kills you. Uh, I know moms that you're called to parent kids and not necessarily be their personal friends, but kids need to know that you really like them. Your kids need to know that you really like them, not just that you are sacrificing for them, but that you like them. And, and older moms can teach you, ladies, how to do that when you're not feel, feeling that. I mean, it's somewhat humorous, but the truth is, you know, just, just Google it. Help me, I don't like my kids. I'm serious. There's, there's a lot of out there on Google of women saying, help me, I don't like my children. And uh, so this, this can be a struggle. It's a, it's a struggle probably for every mom at some point where she just really doesn't like her kids. But, but this might be bigger for you. And if it is, if it is, God says, like, love your children with that kind of friendship love. And if it is something you're struggling with, then ladies, let me ask you to do this. Find a mom that's ahead of you and just confide in them. Tell them how you're feeling. Let them walk through that with you and, 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 and see how God might begin to restore that love. Number three, sisters, be self-controlled. I wrestled with what exactly God was calling you women to and you moms and all you women to, that your translation may say prudence. One of the fruits of submitting to Jesus is that he will bring self-control in your life. And so here, here's what I think Jesus is asking of you, ladies. I think Jesus is saying, operate with thoughtful thinking rather than just off your emotion. Be self-controlled in that you're operating 
with, with thoughtful thinking rather than just emotionally. And, and I don't believe that God is suggesting that we can't be spontaneous. In fact, I think God likes spontaneity. I, there's, there's a place for spontaneity everywhere in a marriage. Okay? But what he's saying is here, don't be driven by your emotions. Okay? And this is a good word, not just for the ladies, but this is a good word for all of us men as well. Okay? Be self-controlled. Don't be driven by your emotions. And, and our heart... Our heart is often called the, the metaphorical seat of all of our emotions, right? We, we know that, that our heart just really pumps blood, right? But our heart is the metaphorical seat of our emotions. I, I, you know, we talk about our heart in that way, all right? But the Bible talks about the heart that way as well. It says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? So your heart, if it is the seat of your emotions... You, you can be deceived by your emotions. And so here's what I think God's saying to you ladies, and obviously to us men as well, but to you ladies, grow in submitting your emotions to truth. Grow in submitting your emotions to your reason and to your thinking. This might specifically mean things like this. Don't let anger control you. You might feel angry and you might want to lash out in your anger, but don't. Don't. You know, use your, use your mind, you, you, your, your loneliness, your discouragement, your disappointment, all those hurtful emotions may arise, but we need to submit ourselves to the truth, not to those emotions. And so ladies, you know, if you're struggling with this and, and you're just losing it emotionally, then, then here's where you get with a sister and you tell her, man, here's what's happening in my life. Don't be, a, listen, we are so afraid to be honest with each other about our weaknesses and our failures that we just don't get help from anyone else. And somehow or another, we, we've created this in the body of Christ where we're not, we can't be honest because it's, an indicative, it's indicative somehow of my walk with Jesus. You know, not so. I don't think so. And, and you know what? A walk with Jesus indicates that I am humble and I'm willing to confess and own up to my areas of weakness. So if, if you've got that, ladies, emotionally, then, then here I challenge you. Let a sister in and, and, and let her help you. I don't know what number I'm on for. Ladies, be holy is the next thing he says. The root word for that word there, I think your Bible, may, my Bible said pure. I chose the word holy here because it has as its root the same, the same root for holiness. And, and so ladies, be, be holy. Be, be like the Lord Jesus. This is probably a reiteration of the thing he called older women to be when he said be reverent. He, he's basically saying teach younger ladies how to be reverent. Teach them how to be holy in their conduct. Again, I'm not going to linger there, but... Work on being like Jesus yourself. Ladies, can I tell you this? You are not the Holy Spirit for your husband. You're not the Holy Spirit for your children. And that doesn't mean that you can't speak into their lives. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't speak into their lives. But you've got to stop thinking you're the one that can somehow change them because you cannot. And so you know, the only person you're responsible for changing and the only person that you can change, you know who it is? It's you. And if you're anything like me, it is really hard to change that really hard to change that. And number five, moms, focus on your family. Literally, the text says workers at home. Now, that does not mean, women, that you cannot have a job or a career outside the house. The reason I know that is Proverbs 31 said, commends the woman for seem, seeming to have both of those things in Proverbs 31, both work outside the home, and, and it seems like she has a career even with regard to what she does for her family. So I don't believe that's what God is saying to you women, that you can't have jobs outside the home. Here's what I think he's saying, and it is an age-old problem for you sisters, but it's this, you know, how do you manage a full-time career and prioritize your family? How do you do that? That's really, really hard. 
The rise of abortion in our culture and in our land is because women are saying, if I do not have the right to abortion, if I do not have the right to kill my unborn child, then I cannot control my career because that'll be such a distraction, such, that'll be something that, that impedes my career. And so our culture says we must have abortion on demand so that I can focus on my career. Well, that's what our culture says, but that's the women of culture. You are not the women of culture. You are the women of Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you might find what I'm saying here offensive. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you cannot find what I'm saying offensive. This is what God says. There should be in your life a priority on your family, even over your career and jobs. And you say, well, how do I do that? I don't know. And I don't know how you do that. That's one of those things you've got to wrestle between you and the Lord. But whatever you do as far as work is concerned... I mean, here's what God is saying. Older women teach women to be focused on their family. Teach them to prioritize their family. Show them how to do that. And so if you're, if you're an older woman that managed career and family and you found a way to do that, teach younger women who, who feel the same pressures to do the same thing. But ladies, again, prioritize your family. Number six, sisters, be kind. The word is often translated good, and your translation may say good. Here's what it's saying. Older women teach younger women to be good. Ladies, you should be good. And, and, and I tell you, men and women, we should both be kind. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's what's true of us who follow Jesus. We should be good and kind people. My guess that the opposite of this would be harsh and unsympathetic, maybe severe. And that God would have to remind you ladies... And us men, and I know I'm saying us men till, till June, but I'm telling you, I just got to say in us men too, that God would have to remind us to be kind. It's sad to me. You would think that we would bleed kindness, don't you? You would think that as the people of God, we would bleed kindness. But instead, what we have in our veins is so, so selfish and mean sometimes. And it just, it shows itself in our lives. Moms, This is an area I would encourage you to work on. Don't exasperate your children. As difficult as they might be and as tough as they might be, you know, um, be slow to anger. Be be kind. Take a a breath. Step back. Don't, don't Don't be emotionally controlled. Instead, be controlled by truth. All right? Be controlled by truth. Be gracious. Be kind. The last one, and then I'm finished. Sisters, embrace complementarianism. You say, whoa, whoa, I don't get that. That Doesn't it say submit to your husbands? Yeah, it does say that. But I'm telling you, I think the greater thing that God is challenging you women to is to embrace complementarianism. You say, what in the world is that? Well, I'm going to tell you. Complementarianism is the view that men and women are equal before God, intrinsic in the same value before God. but, But there are different roles and different functions in our marriage that are complementarian, that are complementary of one another. And, and in this complementary idea, there the husband is the lead, the spiritual lead of the family. The egalitarian view, which is on the rise in the church today, and, and actually done a lot of study trying to say, which of these views do I believe the Bible teaches? And, and I understand the egalitarian view. I understand why they would say what they say, but... but yeah, I just don't think the scripture supports that, that perspective. And if you're an egalitarian here, just, just hear me out because this is just my opinion. But I think the Bible pretty clearly teaches that uh, it teaches complementarianism, that though we are equal before God, equal in value, that there are different roles for us as men and women that distinguish us. And so in the text, Paul says, women, older women teach younger women 
to be submissive to their husbands in this area of, of leadership and authority. Now, I'm not going to debate the complementarian, egalitarian, you know, perspectives. I'm not going to do that. But, but I do want to say, uh, biblically, I want to challenge you to embrace complementarianism. And, and I want to say to you women, I, I think this is so important. This is so important for the health of your marriage to, to recognize these complementary different roles that God has given us as men and women. We live in a day of gender dysphoria. What I mean by that is we, we have rejected this whole idea that we are binary, that, that, that we're men and women, that there are two genders. And we've basically said there's a spectrum now and everybody's on the spectrum somewhere. Well, I'm telling you, that might be what culture teaches, but that, that's not what the Word of God teaches, and it's definitely not even what, what, what biology teaches. Biology teaches that we have two different sets of genitalia, and, and it is complementary. It is complementary, and it works together to form children, okay? I mean, everything about biology, everything about the Word of God, I believe, teaches us that there are different roles and responsibilities. Complementarianism goes all the way back to the, to the creation. And if you happen to be here this morning and you believe that Adam and Eve were, were stories that speak to truth, again, a great portion of the Bible-believing church is embracing the idea that Genesis is not literal and that it's, that it's storing truth. You know, I, I'm not saying I don't believe that, but, that's, but that, I understand. But even if that's where you are, the story teaches complementarianism. The story teaches that, that Adam and Eve were created you know, by God equal, but they were created with different roles. So that's an awful long way of saying, ladies, wives, moms, submit to the role that God has given your husbands. Let them lead. Let them lead and, and, and support that leadership. And I'm going to talk more about that in June when I talk to the husbands about that particular, uh, how, they, how we husbands sometimes misunderstand what God is calling for there. Now, before we leave the text and I wrap this up, I want you to note what Paul says at the very end of verse, is it verse 8? That he says, or which verse is it? So that the word of God will not be dishonored. What verse is that? Verse 5? Okay, sorry. Verse 5. So all of this, ladies, older ladies, teach younger ladies. So all of you women, this is all you sisters. This is what God is calling for you, from you as his followers, right? All of this is so that the word of God will not be dishonored. The reason why he wants you kind, the reason why he wants you embracing complementarianism, focusing on your family, the reason why he wants you to be holy, the reason why he wants you to love your husband and to love your children, be a friend to them, the reason why all of that is true is because, or so that, when you do it, you won't dishonor the Word of God. Now, I've thought about that a lot this week, the Word of God. So what does Paul have in mind? He doesn't have the New Testament in mind. It hasn't been formed. It hasn't been brought together yet. He doesn't have the New Testament in mind. I doubt very seriously he has the Old Testament in mind. You know, the Old Testament has run its course. Hebrews says it's become obsolete, and God has brought in a new covenant now. Okay? That's what Hebrews says. So I don't think it's the Old Testament. So maybe Paul means, ladies, do all this so that the gospel of the Lord Jesus won't be, won't be dishonored amongst people. So that the good news of Jesus won't be dishonored. And he very well could mean that. But you know what I think? This is what I think after this week of meditating on this. You know, it says the word of God, the logos of God. Well, you know, there's another place where the logos of God is defined for us. And it's not the written Word of God. It's not the Old Testament or the New Testament. 
It's talking about Jesus. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was, the word in the Greek for word is logos. He was the logos of God. And you know what I think Paul means when he says this, you know, ladies, live this way so that you won't dishonor the Word of God? I think he's talking about live this way so you'll bring honor to the Lord Jesus. Live this way so that Christ will be exalted through your life, not derided or blasphemed. Because that's our goal, isn't it? Whether you're a woman or whether you're a man here, your goal as a Christ follower, if you are one, is that you might, you might lift Christ up. You might lift Christ up. You might make him big in and through your life. That's what you want to do as his followers. Ladies, listen, there will always be women and men who will ridicule you for seeking to be the woman, the wife, the mother that God has described for us in these verses. They will. They will marginalize you. They will put you down. Maybe even some people will hate you for for, for trying to be this kind of woman and saying, God, I'm not going to be burdened by this. I'm not going to be be defeated by this, but this is my goal. This is what I'm shooting for. There will be people who will ridicule you and marginalize you for that. But if you follow him and you grow in this woman, you will bring honor to Jesus and you will bring him great joy. In John chapter, Mario and I were reading this this week, in John chapter 15, John chapter 15, Jesus talks about making his joy full by obeying him. You want to bring joy to the heart of Jesus? And ladies, set your sight on this and be this kind of woman. Let's uh, bow our heads. I, I will never, ever stop challenging myself, first and foremost, and I will never stop challenging you, men and women, brothers and sisters, family of God at Bacon's Castle. I will never start cha- stop challenging us to, to work off the rough edges in our spiritual life, to conform ourselves to the image that God has given us of his son in his word. I, I will never stop doing that. But I also recognize that the beginning place for all of us is, is not in, in trying to change and, and let Jesus deal with these rough, things, rough edges in my life. That The starting point is for me to recognize I can't do any of this without Christ. I, you cannot do what I've called you to this morning apart from Jesus and His Spirit living in you. But, but He promises to give you that. And so this morning before we dismiss, I need to ask, is there anyone here today who God has been working on your heart and and you're feeling drawn to him, but yet as of this moment, you have not committed yourself to trust him and follow him. I want to invite you to do that, really to begin to work on all these things that I'm talking about this morning without first beginning by saying, Jesus, I need you. I recognize that you died for me. I recognize you rose again and you are alive today and you want to live in my life. I mean, that's the beginning place. Anybody need to begin there this morning who would be willing to say to me, Jimmy, I'm beginning this morning. I want to follow Jesus. Father, thank you for, thank you for making it so clear how we ought to be and how, what it looks like to follow you and what it looks like to be your woman, your sister, I mean, your daughter. And I want to pray for my sisters this morning, Lord, that no one would leave beat up this morning. No one would, would leave feeling like, oh, man, it's just more pressure on me and I just failed. Lord, I pray, God, would you guard their hearts from that? 
Instead, would you give them joy? Would you give them confidence in your love? Like we sang this morning, Lord, you're going to help, help them through whatever they're going through this morning. So give them confidence. And then, Lord, just set this, set this vision in front of them of, of how you want them to be. And let them trust in you. And, and let you, Lord, as they seek to bring their, their lives in, in accordance with your word, help them. And just, Father, grow them up. Lord, I pray for our older sisters that they would give their lives to helping the younger sisters you know, grow and become all that you want them to be. God, I pray for the women of our church family. I pray that they would be great in the kingdom of God. I pray they would be great in Surrey and Alawite County and, and that men and women would note you, Lord Jesus, because they see you in the sisters of our church family. That's what I'm praying for and asking you for. Holy Spirit, help them all. Lord, help all of us, men and women, to, to follow you as clearly and as distinctly as we can. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit us 